Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Well, hey, my name is Zach Brinson. Um, I am the youth pastor here at Outreach Church along with my amazing wife, Madison Brinson, over here. Uh, we do get this the pleasure of um, serving the youth here, and it's been so amazing. And you know what's funny? Today is literally the five-year anniversary of us being youth pastors. Um, I, I remember it because I got to think with dates. God likes to speak to me in numbers. So 717 is a big number in my life where the Lord uses as the sign to direct me. And I remember it was on 717 when Roy and Patty invited us over to their house to talk about being youth pastors. And I was already prepared in my heart because I felt like the Lord had spoken to me about that a few months ago. But what I didn't know that was going to come up in that conversation was not only were they going to ask me and, me and Madison to be youth pastors, they wanted us to start off our whole venture in not only youth pastors, being youth pastors, but ministry by talking to kids about sex. <laughs> I was like, yes, I am prepared. Then they said, and we want you to start by talking to them about sex. And I was like, no. I am not ready for this series of awkward conversations. They got a book, and I remember reading through this book, and there were, there were certain words. I was like, I don't feel comfortable as an adult speaking that to a room full of middle school and high schoolers. But the thing that I found, though, throughout this process, and we actually we did it when we first got started, and by the grace of God, me and Madison survived, And I realized that if we could make it through that, we could make it about th just through about anything in youth ministry. But I always knew throughout this, the time, the last five years, that we needed to do it again. And we actually did a purity series again earlier this year. And I can honestly say, I think that was the most rewarding and impactful thing I have ever done in the five years of being a youth pastor. See, the enemy is after your purity because he is so intimidated by the blessing that gets released by the pure. Because the blessing of the pure heart is that they will see God. And if he can distort that image, if he can pervert that image, if he can block it off, then not only would they not be able to see the Lord, but they won't be able to see who they are in him. Because once you get a vision of who you are in Christ and who he is in you, you can change the world. But if you don't have that, then you won't walk in authority. Then you won't walk in power. And then he can have control over your life. See, those who walk in the purity of heart have the blessing to be able to see the Lord. But there's another blessing of seeing the Lord, and that's holiness. So the purity of heart allows you to see the Lord, but the holiness you walk in allows others to see the Lord in you. And when you start getting middle schoolers, high schoolers who are walking in the purity of the Lord, who know how to protect their purity, who how to protect 
themselves from pornography, from perverted sexuality, then schools can be transformed and revival can break out because they see someone who knows how to value who they are and they become convicted because they see the holiness of God resting on them. why that message is so important. Honestly, it was so impactful this year. Joseph, my brother-in-law, helped serve in the youth. He's pretty amazing. He's actually been with, serving with, for four years in the youth ministry. Yeah, give him a round of applause. I'm so thankful for Joseph. Honestly, when, he, when I show up to youth and he's not there, if he was on vacation, he was on vacation last week, I feel it. I notice it. He's the hype man. He, he, he leads the games and he gets the night started. And he just, he blesses all those kids. He blesses me. He blesses the leaders. And honestly, the youth ministry wouldn't be what it is today without him. So if you see him, give him a high five, give him a hug and tell him he's amazing. I, um, I want to talk today about your relationship with God, your communion with him, and how that destroys strongholds in your life. There's this interesting verse in Genesis chapter 2, and it's always stood out to me. It reads, and this is the history of the heavens and the earth. And I would read that, and I'm like, that's such a strange verse. Anyone else ever read verses, and they're like, wow, that's so strange. I have no idea what that means. Why is that there? That's God provoking you. That is God provoking you into a conversation with him. That's him saying, ask me. Because he knows that if you ask him, he's faithful to his word. Ask and and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Because if you ask, you'll get an answer. But so many of us say, we've asked, I've asked, I've asked. And I didn't get an answer. There's this distortion, there's this wrong thought of if I ask, immediately I should get an answer at that moment. And sometimes we think, well, I guess he didn't hear my prayer. The thing is, we often forget the questions that we ask. God never does. And I tell people, if you could write down all the questions that you ask and go back and read it six months, 12 months later, you would look back on your life and you would realize the questions that you were asking 12 months ago, if you were actually asking them of the Lord, he answered them along the way. He doesn't forget what you ask of him. He doesn't forget anything about you. He knows the hairs that are on your head. It's just us who often forgets. So this is the history of the heavens and the earth. See, what this is saying is it's telling a story about two separate places, the earth and the heavens, and while they are separate, it is impossible to tell the story of one without the other. The same way that it would be impossible for me to tell you the story of the history of outreach without talking about Roy and Patty. It is impossible for you to understand the history of the earth without knowing how it meant to correlate with heaven. 
It is impossible for God to tell you the history of heaven without you understanding how it correlates with the earth. And in that same story, it is talking not only about the heavens and the earth, but it is also talking about man and God. It is impossible for you to tell your story and how it was intended to be told without the testimony of the faithfulness of God on your life. It is impossible for you to tell the story of God himself without displaying his kindness and his love towards you. And so many people want to try to separate these things because they want to create God and leave him a distant figure. Or yourself and ourselves a distant figure from him. Ah, he's got bigger things to worry about. He created you because he wanted to be with you. He created you because both of your stories are complete when you're walking in unity with the Lord. That's the reason he created you. There's a story of a man named Jacob. His name meant shyster, meant trickster. Isn't it weird how Bible characters, they name their kids? Like, ah, let's name him Jacob. He's a trickster. <laughs> like, what if you introduced your kids at church? Like, yeah, hey, this is my bud Jacob, my son Jacob. Yeah, he's a, he's a little liar. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Dear gosh, Monty, edit that. Uh, but so one day, Jacob, he's on the run. He's run from his family. He's run from his home because he, he learned how to manipulate. He learned how to steal. He, he, he was able to steal a birthright from his brother and a blessing from his father. And while he had all these talents, this, this special ability, these gifts that were good gifts, on the, the run away from them, he was all alone. He possessed something great, but he had no purpose in it because he was running and trying to manipulate the things of the earth apart from heaven. He was trying to get something that was heavenly with an earthly wisdom. And so one day he arrives at this place called Bethel and he has a dream. And in this dream, the heavens are open. And he sees angels ascending and descending above him. And he wakes up and says, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. In that moment, he comes into an understanding of who he is, of what his purpose is. It's not meant to be alone. It's not meant to be working on an earthly wisdom. The Bible says those things are foolishness to the wisdom of God. There is a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. And the one from below is first earthly. And then eventually it turns sensual. And then eventually it turns demonic in James 3. 
So he runs away. He's, he's, he's touched something. He's touched something of heaven. And he runs. He goes on his way. There's a new, newfound hope in his life. But he's still trying to navigate, what do I do with my past? And one day, again, as he builds his family later on in life, he builds his family. He has these kids. He, he's, he's building his clan. He's making something of his life. He hears the Lord say, come back to Bethel. And build a monument in remembrance for what I've done for you. And it's in this place, in this moment, where he's able to look back at his past. He doesn't see all the problems that happened in his life. He doesn't see all the, the troubles that happened. He sees a God who was faithful, not only throughout his lifetime, but his father's. Not only throughout his father's lifetime, but his grandfather's. And he, there, God gives him a promise of his destiny. And he says to him, I am going to make you like them. I am going to bless your children and your children's children, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Kings will come from your bloodline and from there on he looked at his past and he saw all he saw was the faithfulness of the Lord and he was able to look towards his future in hope because he knew that God had a plan not just throughout the years of his life but through his children and his children's children and he was able to release a blessing upon them that was told throughout all the generations of Israel and there, God changed his name as a man who didn't just wrestle with the things of the earth, but one who wrestled with heaven and prevailed because he knew the heavens were open over him. We were singing that song today. I'm waking up to heaven. I'm waking up to heaven. I want to say to you today, the heavens are open over you. Have someone say, the heavens are open over you. Come on, man. <laughs> really, like, just nudge someone. Punch someone in the shoulder. Wake them up. Yeah. Listen, when I talk to the youth and I feel like they're starting to drift away, <laughs> I just start talking about sex and they all wake up. After one of the weeks, uh, after, uh, I think it was like the third week, you know, it was, it was awkward for the leaders too, and um, one of them came up to me and says, I have gotten so comfortable talking about sex. <laughs> it's like I could say sexual terms and not feel, uh, not feel awkward. I know we don't have coffee in here today, but I will start naming sexual terms to wake every single person up. I'm just joking. Monty, edit that. Uh, uh, oh, man. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a jokester. So the history goes on, and Bethel is known. for being a place of encountering the Lord. And one day, after Solomon passes away, after Israel is known for having all these amazing kings, this new king comes to power. His name is Jeroboam. And he realizes these people are going to turn back to the Lord. 
if I don't do something? Because it's in their history. It's in their DNA. It's what they're meant for. And so he devises a plan. And this plan is to build an idol and place it in front of the temple in Bethel. Because if he can pervert their history, if he can, he can prevent them from seeing the goodness of God in their past and in their future, then he can control it all. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, that idol remains, and Israel lives in confusion of who they are in the sight of God. He creates strongholds. That's what I want to talk about today. Is I want to talk about the strongholds that separate you from the knowledge of God, that keep you from seeing his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness over your life, and the power that he wants to release over you to be a blessing so that you look back at your past and you see his goodness and mercy and you can look at your future and you can see the hope and the great, amazing plans he has for you. So we can put 2 Corinthians chapter 10 up on the screen. I just want to read this here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Uh, Let me start back here. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful to us. Lord, you just continue to work in our hearts this morning. And open our hearts up to the knowledge of who you are. What any strongholds, any thoughts, any lofty opinions that are separating us from understanding and seeing your goodness, Lord, would they be removed? So we can walk in unity with you like you created us to. Amen. So I just want to share three keys to destroying strongholds in your life and walking in unity with the Lord. And the first key has everything to do with knowing the character of God. It says here, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not so much in casting down strongholds and, and rebuking the enemy, but it's everything about knowing who God is. Who he really is, is knowing that he's good, knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he's kind, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. When we know that, like, it allows us to lean into that. 
My, my, my weapons of warfare are in my are in my history with God. It's in my relationship with him. They're not of the flesh. They're spiritual. And when you see something in the character of God, like I, there's, there's been times in my life, honestly, where I could probably speak, I could tell you about scriptures, I could tell you biblical truths, but I didn't know it for myself. I tell this story a lot, but I know me and Madison, we, we went through uh, years of miscarriage. And when I look back at that, I don't see all the pain and the tears. I saw what I saw in the Lord during that season. I saw it. I see his faithfulness. I see a God who spoke to me in a dream before we ever started trying to have children. Give me the word of hope that I needed to sustain me before I ever found my problem, before I ever found the problem that I was facing. Man, that's the story of his faithfulness. He's, he, he, he's so planned my life that he gives me what I need before the, the problem arises. And because I see it in his faithfulness, when I pray, I can release it. Because I see it in him. Because I can become it. My dad was such a good dad growing up. And I know not everyone has a great father. But my dad always showed up. Honestly, I could grab my phone right now. I could call my dad. I'd be like, Dad, hey, I, I need you. Can, can you come help me? I'll be there in 30 minutes. That's honestly how my dad was. You can ask my sister, Molly, over here. It, it almost it was annoying a little bit when I was 17 because he was always so helpful. As a 17-year-old, I thought that. And that was, you know, because I was stupid. <laughs> but that's what I see in the Lord. God shows up. And so when I pray, when I come before him, when I ask him, I have the belief that he's going to show up. When I pray for others, I have the belief that he's going to show up because I see it in the Lord. What you see in him you have the authority to release. What you see in him, you have the responsibility to release. So our warfare is not of the flesh. It's spiritual. It's all rooted in our relationship with him, of knowing who he is. So many people think he's an angry God. But the word, he is slow to anger. Second thing is this, learning how to recognize the stronghold. It says here that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. First, you need to define what is a stronghold, and it is an argument and lofty opinion that is separating you from the knowledge of God. That word for argument, if you look into the Greek, it actually means logical. They are logical thoughts that we have that keep us from following and knowing the Lord. Opinions, we have these self-opinions of ourselves and others that keep us from seeing God in our situations. See, strongholds, it's like this. 
Everyone has them. We all have a stronghold. I have a stronghold. Billy Graham has strongholds. You know, we all did. And it's because it's this, we're always growing into the knowledge of God. And we live in a world that's always preaching its agenda, its opinion, its logical thought process, because the world doesn't war with the things of heaven. It wars with the things of earth. And somehow along the way, you begin to, to pick up things unconsciously. And sometimes it's maybe because of past pain, past hurt, where in the process, we form these, these thoughts and these opinions about ourselves and about what life is meant to look like. See, strongholds is like walking into a room with dark-colored sunglasses. It changes your perception. Everything looks darker. And we create these places, these thoughts, these opinions, as a place of safety that we can hide in, where we feel protected. But in the end, it's not protecting us from other people, from pain, from hurt. It's only a stronghold that's separating us from the heavens. From the thoughts of God, from the knowledge of who He is. See, strongholds destroy, destroy, distort, and pervert our outlook of ourselves and who we are in the light of God, our relationships, and our outlook on life. Those are the three areas where it's trying to distort and pervert and give you a wrong perception. By limiting his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, and his plans for your life. They also stunt and delay your spiritual growth. So many people say, I've been walking with God for 50 years. But the fruit in their life doesn't resemble it. Because they've allowed strongholds to dictate their life rather than the knowledge of God and who he is. I think that's what uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You should by now be, be eating solid food, but yet you're still being fed on milk. You should be teachers of the law. Rather than just Listeners. You by now should have become mature enough to, by now you would have your senses trained to discern the difference between that which is good and evil. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they came to me and they said, Zach, I have a problem. I said, what's your problem? I don't know. What do you mean? I don't know what my problem is. Okay. So why do you think you have a problem? That's the problem. Like, what? <laughs> so we sat down, we started talking, and eventually I realized, oh man. You don't have the conviction that you're righteous. See, the work of the Holy Spirit does three things it convicts us of sin, it convicts us of righteousness, and convicts us of judgment. And so many people are only walking in the conviction of the Holy Spirit in one area, the conviction of sin, which is necessary and is needed because we have to see that apart from Christ, we are sinful. That's why we needed to die to ourselves, and so we could be born again, resurrected in a new life, walking in the Spirit of God. 
But when we only have that recognition of that and we don't see ourselves as righteous, seated in Christ with heavy places of all rule and authority and bestowed upon us every spiritual blessing that are in the heavens, whenever the Spirit comes upon us and we start to feel conviction, we'll always immediately associate it with sin rather than with righteousness. And therefore, it perverts and distorts our, uh, our perspective of what God is trying to say and do to us. You need a conviction of righteousness in your life because the Spirit of God comes to convict us of sin so that we know what to do with it, so we can cast it away, we can can lay it aside. You know, you're not meant to be sinful once you're born into Christ. That's why it says in in, um, 1 John, it says, and if you do sin, we still have an advocate who is Jesus Christ. But you have to have a revelation of righteousness. It is my, it is the thing, the warfare on my life is my hunger to know him that keeps the things of the enemy at bay. In the midst of going through seasons of miscarriage, I'm like, God, I know there are more mysteries in you. There are more answers in you that I can search after, that I can find in the midst of this pain. This is a new door for me to see new things in you that I maybe couldn't have seen in another situation. Man, that has to be our warfare of how we handle these things other than, or because if we don't, it will allow wrong theology, wrong viewpoints, wrong thoughts in our head that distorts our perspective of our lives, ourselves, and the people around us. Strongholds try to separate you from the people that you are called to. And you know how great of a grip a stronghold has on your life by the degree of the negative emotion it creates through you. When you see someone who has found success and it creates jealousy, the degree of that jealousy that rises up reveals the strength that stronghold has on your life. So many strongholds. It comes from just past pain, past hurt. People giving you wrong advice that you've believed. And it creates logical thought patterns and lofty opinions that we don't allow the Lord to speak into. It's like if you go, if you never knew anyone who was in a wreck. So many times, you know, when they go back to that place where they were in a wreck, there's emotions that come back up. Negative emotions. I was talking to someone the other day, um, young, long, long time ago when they were, when they were a kid, they, they were uh, hurt. They were abused. And when they're around a certain type of person, no matter if it's a good person or a bad person, they get afraid. There's fear that rises up in them. There's just strongholds. But this verse tells us how to defeat them. And it's just by being obedient to what God's asked of you. It says here, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Being ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. 
You know, I've talked to people and they've said, uh, you know, I've tried. I've tried to forgive them. I've tried to move on from this. I've tried to change my thought. I've said the right things. I've prayed the right prayers. I've done the right stuff. You know, obedience has to do with two different things. One, obedience is an action. The Bible, and, and Isaiah says the willing and the obedient will eat the good of the land. The obedience is the action, which is necessary, but willingness has more to do with the place of your heart. And so, so many people, while they may do the action, they find more peace in the stronghold of bitterness. They would rather be bitter towards that person than celebrate them. They find more peace in just saying, I'm just dysfunctional. I got problems, it's okay. Rather than saying, man, no, you got the Lord who's made a way for you out of all this. You've got peace. Where do you see your safety? Because strongholds are, are these monuments of thoughts and opinions in which we find safety, which we find identity. The willing and the obedient will eat the good of the land. So there you have it. You have it has all to do with knowing about the character of God. The ability to take thoughts captive and to recognize the source and what's separating you from them. And walking out in obedience with a willing heart and obedient lifestyle. See, the story, Bethel was, was the idol was put up and it was there uh, for hundreds of years uh, you know, up until the time of Ezra. But God never wanted it to be about a place. He wanted it to be about you and his relationship. And so in John 1, Jesus comes back and he has this moment with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel comes to him and he doesn't believe that this is God. He doesn't see it. Because he's been taught that everyone from Nazareth, they're, they're, they're less than people. It was, it was a stronghold. It was a cultural stronghold. See, there, there, are only, there are personal strongholds and there's cultural strongholds. And sometimes it just takes one person walking in the willing and obedience to break a cultural stronghold that's over the minds of so many people. Because it's once your obedience is complete that God will release from the heavens the ability to judge the disobedience, to really cast out, to reveal the lies of the opinions that has separated not just one person, but a, a community of people against the knowledge of God, a culture of people against, uh, from the knowledge of God. And so there was this, uh, this group thing, this problem, this cultural thing against the people of Nazareth. And he sees the Lord. And he says, before Philip called you, I saw you underneath the fig tree. Behold, Israel, in whom there's no deceit. And in that moment, he just realized, I don't have perspective on this. But I know you really do see me. Despite my flaws, despite my history. He says, you believe because I saw you? Then you will see the heavens open. Angels ascending and descending upon the Son of God. And his life was changed. 
His perspective changed. The glasses came off. The dark colored sunglasses came off. And he saw his history and hope. And he saw his future in the light of the Lord. Growing up, there was, I, I had a stronghold that I had for as long as I can remember. In a stronghold, the thought, it was a lofty opinion of myself that though I could preach against it, I could, I could tell you the verses of why it's not true, in my heart, I believed it. And that was that I, I'll never be able to be a good provider for my family. Whenever I got married, whenever I had kids, I wouldn't be able to be a good provider. I remember I met Madison later on in my 20s, and, you know, I remember you know, confessing that like, yeah, I had this fear over my life. And one day, years later, we were in a worship service, and the Lord speaks to me. He speaks to me and Madison that same night, both separately. He says, tell Madison to quit her job. And I was like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to live? And this is what he says to me. Easy. I'll have people call you. I had just gotten into real estate at the time. I just started working that, and, you know, I was just trying to get my feet wet. And I was like, well, I guess that's what I need, you know, people to call me, like, help me buy a house, help me sell a house. So me and Madison talked, and she quit her job. I saw a little uptick in my business. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. This is great. A couple months later, he goes, Zach, I want you to leave your team. <laughs> like, you want me to leave where I work? He's like, yeah, I want you to start your own team. I was like, I- I'm actually doing well. Like, you know, you told me to have people call me and I'm, I'm doing better. You know, like, I'm, I'm actually like, how am I going to live? Easy. I'll have people call you. I was like, oh, man. See, I knew I had a relationship with the Lord. My warfare was, I know he's good. I know he's faithful. I know he's true. I know he's not taking me somewhere to my destruction, but he's taking me somewhere for my good, to where more of his goodness and his mercy and his goodness can come through my life. And so I sat there and I thought about that. I was like, I'm leaving my team. Like, is this the Lord or is that, is that me? Like, I know his nature, but I want to make sure I'm not creating this thought and calling it the Lord. You know, so many people that say, God's telling me to leave my job. No, he's not. You just don't like working, so you want to leave your job. I like to work. I like my job. I love the people I work with. So I go into my office. I tell my boss, I need to leave. He's like, why? I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. He said, what are you going to do? I'm going to start my own team. He's like, you sure about that? I was like, I think so. <laughs> He's like, how are you going to get leads? God told me you'd have people call me. <laughs> I got a very interesting look after I said that. <laughs> I walked out and people were telling me, like, that was the stupidest thing you could have done. You should have told me before you did that. I would have talked you out of it. I was like, I just, I feel like I needed to do it. And that week, I get a phone call. I looked at my phone. It says it was from Wyoming. 
pick up the phone and goes, is this Zach Branson? I'm like, yes, this is, this is Zach Branson. Yeah, I'm calling Zach Branson. I'm like, Branson, Branson. I need to buy a house. I'm moving to Greenville, South Carolina. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I can help you, blah, blah, blah. We talked, we set up an appointment. I was like, hey, hey, real quick, before you go, how did you get my number? Someone gave it to me. I'm like, who? Someone. I mean, like, but like, do you know their name? No. It's like, okay. So I hang up the phone. I thought it was like a prank call. I honestly thought Wayman was prank calling me. Zach Branson. So I don't even show up to the meeting that we set up. So like, that was a joke. I get a phone call from my office a couple weeks later saying, someone's here to meet you. He's from Wyoming. I'm like, what? So I show up, eventually find him a house, and on the days before we find him a house, I keep asking him. I'm like, so who gave you my number? I don't know. I don't know. That's always his answer. And one day he tells me, I think it was this person. He tells me this person's name. I Google search them. I, I, I call my broker. I call every single person I could possibly think of. How can I find this person? And they don't exist. See, typically if a realtor or someone tries to refer you to somebody, they want a piece of the pie. They want some money. They're going to come after you. I tried to go after them, and I couldn't find anybody. The name didn't exist. And I remember the Lord said to me, I'll have people call you. From that day, I have never had a thought. God has not empowered me, blessed me, and created me to be a provider for my family. Because the heavens are open. In Wyoming, with angels ascending, with Zach Brinson business cards that read, Zach Bryanson. you'll stand up. At the very beginning of this year, I had a dream. And in this dream, we were coming out of worship and I stood before the church and I read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I said to the church, I said, in this time of transition, God is calling us into a season of prayer and repentance. See, it says in the Bible that when God, after it says the history of the heavens and the earth, that God hadn't called us into the rain because there wasn't a man to work the earth and no tree had sprung up from the ground. But in James 5, it says, and Elijah was a man just like us, just like you and me. And when he prayed, it caused the heavens to open and rain to fall to the ground and the earth produced the harvest and the blessing that's meant to come through your life has everything to do with your communion with God. And I just feel like this morning, I feel like the Lord is saying that he wants to mature some people, 
to grow them up so that they're into a, a fuller version of him spiritually where there's been strongholds in the past that has delayed spiritual growth so that they can fully see themselves and the knowledge of who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. I feel like there's some strongholds that need to be broken so they can fully see that, so they can see the talents, the giftings that are on their life and the way God created them fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely. And I felt like the Lord said that he's gone to prepare a place for you, prepare rooms for you to dwell in. But you've tried to dwell in rooms that the earth created for you, that rooms that were made out of opinions of men, structures, and systems. But the Lord has rooms that haven't been seen, that haven't been touched, that haven't been filled because they've been, well, they've been created in the heavens. And that's where you have to access them. I've gone to prepare a place for you. So right now, this is what I want to do. I, I want to pray. And God is going to speak. He's going to reveal strongholds that are in your life that you've tolerated for too long. Because God needs a mature body who knows how to discern the difference between that which is good and which is evil, who knows who they are. See, comparison has struggled. It's been such a struggle in the body of Christ. It says later on in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that he who compares himself to another is without wisdom. Because you were never meant to compare yourselves against other people in the body of Christ. You were only meant to compare yourself to what you see in the Lord. Because as you see him, so you are. So this one, I want to pray. God's going to reveal strongholds, thoughts that he wants to cast out. He wants to destroy. And he's going to speak. He's going to move. But I do want to say this. Just because I say he's going to speak doesn't mean he's going to use words. So Lord, we just say thank you. We say thank you. God, you're so faithful to us. You knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. And you separated us out before we were ever born. And you appointed us with a purpose in life, just like you spoke to Jeremiah. For we just, we lay down our excuses. We lay down our logic. We lay down any opinion in our life that is separating us from the knowledge of who you are. God, we just say, seek us, search us. See if there's anything grievous or wrong way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. Lead us into the promises that you designed for us. Would we know you more intimately than ever? God, would you, would you put us on the fast track? Would you, would you expedite time so that we would, we would go into this, to, to the man that you created us to be? Whether we've, we've run from it for so long, whether we've made excuse after excuse after excuse of why we don't look a certain way, of why our life is messed up, and the way that we view it, God, would you destroy those thoughts and remind us of the goodness 
the kindness, the mercy, the graciousness, the fact that you are slow to anger, that you are not slow to fulfilling your promise to us, God. And what we see ourselves as we see you in that way. Jesus, we just say we love you. We say we love you and we submit our lives to you today, Lord.